0: The Guardian. This Guardian podcast was made possible by Squarespace, the all in one website maker with cover pages, a new feature that expresses your ideas with a bold single page website. Try it at squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of So Grow, Repeat. I'm Alice Fowler, the Guardian gardening columnist. And I'm Jane Perrone, the Guardian's gardening editor. And this week we're all about green roofs. Now that's not a roof garden which is like a patio on top of your house. A green roof is a building that's partially or completely covered by plants or vegetation. Now, they tend to be small. They are often sedums or succulents. But these days, people are really pushing the boundaries to what you can grow on top of the roof. And it's there to make the whole building more sustainable. I don't know
0: where Jane's disappeared off to, though. Jane? Don't worry, Alice. I'm here with Dusty Gedge. Dusty, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Now, I was just wondering how I should describe you. <laughs> um, I'm, and I get in trouble for describing people in, in various... Ways, but I'm going to call you uh, a green roof guru
2: because be you were my that.
0: green roof guru. Because when I <laughs> had my green roof um, planting moment a few years ago, it was you that I turned to in desperation and phoned up and said, Dusty, what do I do? And you answered my question. So um, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah. Um, tell me, how did you get into the world of green
2: roofs? Well, um, I've been a bird watcher all my life, so I'm interested in nature and uh, my. my Real professional, my previous profession was that I was a circus performer and an actor. A and circus I,
0: performer. Yes. Yeah. What was your what? Sorry, folks. I just need to know the answer to this. What was your act? What was your? Well,
2: I I was a, it was a theatre circus. And I was I was the comic, and then I was a street entertainer, and then I did lots of theatre shows where I had to use circus skills. Does so this I, mean
0: you're awesome at juggling and Diablo and stuff? Uh,
2: i'm not awesome at any of them <laughs> but I, I did write i did bought the tightrope and i did do a bit of trapeze and I did so a bit how of did you
0: go from that to green roofs <laughs> i set up a,
2: a truant workshop um down in greenwich where i'm from for people who weren't going to kids who weren't going to school using trying to get use circus to get get them back to school um which is interesting because when i lots of people say when i show do talks about green roofs, they say you've got no people on it but actually i was really involved in sort of community activity and uh there was a, a big development going on there and they wanted a bird watcher and I've been a bird watcher all my life and then I got involved in these ecological studies and we found this rare bird called the Black Red Star and we thought, well, OK, we could shove it all up on the roof and the rest is history and I'm now the president of the European Federation of Green Roof Associations and I do sort of highfalutin things but, um, you know, when you came to me um, you know, you wanted to build a green roof and my colleague and I, John Little, had written this guide because we used to get hundreds of emails from people who just go like, all the companies confuse us. You know, how can we do it ourselves? And so there's part of me which, and John which just wants everybody to be able to green roof, build one. And, you know, to show them how to do it.
0: Um, it's interesting about the bird watching thing because one of the reasons why I wanted a green roof on um, what turned out to be our office was because our old the old building that was on that particular patch of land uh, was a garage and there used to be loads of goldfinches all over it I presume eating insects on a conventional very old roof and I used to look at these goldfinches and think oh no the building was falling down it had to be knocked down and I was thinking oh no the poor goldfinches what's going to happen to the goldfinches and that really led me to um, to think about a green roof and I have to say it's lived up to expectations in that I do get a lot of birds including goldfinches up there Eating the seed heads and so on, so ting success.
2: Yeah. Well, if I may say, because we are in this building, and this building you moved into, this building, and you have to had you had to have a green roof on this building because the black red starts using at King's Cross, and because of me, you've got a very very you got a series of green roofs for black red starts and probably Goldfinches.
0: round to be of 30. applause mm-hmm. for Dusty. Thank you, Dusty. Thank you from the black red starts. <laughs> Twenty years ago, that was <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's fantastic to know. I didn't know that. Oh, um, yeah. So. When we were thinking about this podcast, we did have a moment where I was envisaging a Venn diagram. And in one circle was green roofs and in one circle was roof gardens. Now, let's just clear up any confusion before we go on. Is there an overlap between the two things? Are they totally different things?
2: Well, a green roof is a a roof that has soil and vegetation on it. Now there's different types of green roofs because um, if you've got if you want to if you want park on a on a building or a, or, or a, a normal traditional uh, garden, you're going to have to have a pretty strong structure. So nearly in London or most cities in Germany, um, most green roofs are actually what they call extensive green roofs, which extensive, are actually right. yeah, and they're actually low maintenance, um, very drought tolerant, and they're essentially it, it, by definition of a, a mix of like succulents wildflowers and grasses and that's essentially something that can grow in between you know generally the the extensive green roof is between we'd say in the UK between 60 centimetres and 150 centimetres 150 sometimes 200 centimetres and they're basically in essence a wild roof now if you're minded you can go up there and molly cuddle it all the time you like but nearly 90% of people, or even 99% of people, once they have one, they kind of just let it do what it does.
0: So my, my um, roof, I would say, is probably about... I'm holding my it's fingers here.
2: about 150,
0: here. that does. That's yeah, so uh, mi- say millimetres we're talking
2: here. Millimetres, yeah. Mi- so it's about uh, four, eight, y- you've got about 12 inches there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, I do, it does go brown and crispy if, yeah. it's, if it's a heat heatwave. Uh, and obviously, if I really wanted to, I could go up there with a the hosepipe, but that seems ridiculous. Uh, but what always amazes me is how it does bounce back. And there is a certain beauty to it uh, when it's kind of all brown and crispy, but it also every time of year there's something different to
2: look at if you've got like um, six to eight to ten inches the drought is actually a really good thing because what it does it can actually break up the soils and actually it can take out a lot of the grasses that blow in which actually can take over and the drought can re-release seeds so like john little who i wrote our guide with his roof is just made of topsoil clay so it's not a really good green roof material and so, like some summers, when we have really, really bad drought, he, he loves it because it's just dirt brown. It looks like the African savanna, you know. And then what he finds is like we get this wet August, and suddenly all these oxide daisies just go into 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 whatever they do. And three years ago, you know, he went up there and he said, "I've got a bee orchid colony up there." So you know, this perception that if you if you allow something to kind of live its own way, if you get it right from the start, it can actually mean that actually your roof can be very very dynamic and can respond so uh, in London is a little bit different from um, sort of outside of London but even out in Essex when I was there a couple of weeks ago at John's is it's quite mild at the moment but particularly in London you can get cowslips will suddenly reappear in November because London with all the heat in it so what happens is on the roof you often you often find that it changes in a very, very different way to what it would do at ground level.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I, I found with my, my green roof that uh, the things that I've grown from seed and introduced as young seedlings did a lot better than the plug plants I put in, which were basically... It was a very dry spring and basically all the magpies and crows just came and pulled them all out and I found them all over my garden and I was very bitter. But then I just grew a load of um, sedums from seed. And put a lot of wildflower uh, seed up there. And it's amazing to see how it changes over the seasons and how things pop up. And you think, well, how, did, how, how does stuff get up there? Presumably partly the wind, but also perhaps brought in on birds' feet? I mean, Yeah, I mean, most
2: of the- uh, this... Some, some, some plants are actually wind pollinated and some are, um, are blown along the ground so they can't get on the roof. That's why some of the seed mixes we've come up with and which are available now commercially mean that some of those plants get up there Particular one is birdsfoot treffle which is really important for um for certain butterflies and then there's vipers bugos which is ecky ec- and
0: but if somebody listening is thinking to themselves i've got a shed or um a wheelie bin cover or a, an office or my whole house that i want to uh, put a green roof on where, where do they start what's the best advice well i mean we are going
2: you know I have to mention our guide because we have a guide which is really a guide which every single step to take, even if you've got a shed, how you can make the shed a bit stronger to take a roof. Um, and we, and I'm, I'm not trying to sort of plug it, but we wrote it specifically so that actually the person who wanted that shed or that extension or that garage or that wheelie being done is going to either do it themselves or give the guide to the contractor so that they could do it so the guide's there it's online it's an online guide and we always tr- we try and say like in the guide and I try and say to everybody anyway look if you walk around london or manchester or wherever you are and you see anything that's very attractive that's growing on nearly neat concrete collect the seeds and <laughs> <throw> <laughs> That's going to be a winner roof. yeah and yeah. you know it's also trying to engage people then who may be gardeners but don't really deal with sort of the natural environment It's so sort of that, that collecting seeds and of course you have got to collect responsibly because there's a code for that is is a way to connect people to beyond their just their space and the wider 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 place, and the other thing on cedums is you know you go to nearly any old, old graveyard and you're bound to get cedum acre and cedum album and I've I regularly steal something from churchyards. <laughs> I mean you don't have to buy oh, the stuff oh what a stuff, confession well, the really, lightning bolt yeah, comes yeah,
0: down shh, they'll dusty. be back next year you know? they'll be back well, next year and I mean I have to say I mean I do I'm reasonably good at growing stuff from seed but I found the sedums really easy I mean I just bought a, a pack of a mixed sedum from somewhere and I found them really easy to grow. You've got to be a bit more patient, I suppose. That's the only thing. But if I'd have gone and tried to buy all those sedums, it would have cost me a huge amount more money than a pack of four-pound pack
2: of seeds. Well, well, the great thing about sedums is if you go down to a graveyard just following that from, or even down to a beach, you know, where you get sedum aqua, all you've got to do within a day, if you, if you, if you just pull them away, um, throw them on the roof, uh, it's called sedum cuttings. It's just, yeah, they yeah. regrow. I've got a little patch on Black Eve which I often boof up my little balcony roof because I've only got a tiny little one it's a little patch it's literally 50 yards away from me and every couple of days I just you know in the spring I take you know, a few and I just throw them onto this little balcony roof and they just they will just bed in straight away sedums are really you don't need to really grow them if you yeah. can find a source for them yeah, well,
0: that's, that's good to know and um, but don't I've just, just got talk- to
2: say this because else somebody would be emailing me saying yeah. naughty man is you know there's a 100 you know, square metres of sedum don't take a 100 square metres of sedum you know just take sort of yeah. like 1% <laughs> You know, cause, you know, like, you know.
0: Yeah, you, you've got to be responsible, as you yeah. say. Um, and just, let's just talk a little bit about the benefits of the green roof for the building that they're on. I mean, I find that my office where the green roof is on is cool in summer and relatively warm in winter, um, considering it's a detached from the rest of the house. It does seem to have benefits in terms of um, insulation. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two ways of dealing
2: with this. There's your experience, and then there's the yeah. technical, what they say in the book. Right. And to, uh, the technical, to keep it quick, they won't give it an insulation value because basically it could be a very, very wet winter, and technically it's not a good insulator. Everybody who's got one, and John, uh, John Broom, who wrote this famous self build book, is that is for 25 years. In the winter, I use less heating. And in the summertime, which is a really big advantage these days, is actually the cooling effects because, you know, I live in London and London's actually got yeah. cool poverty. So being cool in our heat is a very, very important thing. I think the other thing to add to this, because I'm involved in things at a city-wide scale, is, you know, I think it, it's going to be very interesting in a city like London. I think it's going to happen everywhere in all urban areas. Is Citizens are going to be asked to store rainwater. You know, you know take personal responsibility for storing rainwater which is sustainable urban drainage and a green roof really just sucks up the rainwater and it's actually a really good way it's not like you know i'm saying like you should but you know it's a good way for citizens to actually say well i actually take some responsibility for some of the rainwater that falls on my plot which you know is in in some cities in germany it's a legal requirement you get taxed if you don't store rainwater so you know this says well what i'm doing is i get visual value i get personal pleasure i I get cooler. I also store rainwater, so I'm an active participant in, in making cities more resilient. And, you know, I'm actually doing something for wildlife. So you, it's actually not saying like a Guardian really greeny here. It's actually <laughs> a really good thing to do. Right, well, I'm
0: off now to go and see a real green roof in the flesh. So I've taken a little walk from the Guardian offices at King's Cross, and I'm here on what we might call the Islington Borders. David Matzdorf is with me, and I've just walked through the gate into a beautiful jungle. What a surprise. And I can immediately see your curved roof, which yes. I'm guessing is where That's we need to be. The
3: whole house, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, basically what it is is the, the site is only about 15 metres by 12 metres, and because of planning rules I had to put the house essentially on the back half of the site, so I haven't got a back garden at all. What I've got instead is a sort of 15 metres by 5 metres front garden behind the courtyard wall, just between me and the pavement, and then to double the size of the garden, as well as for all the eco-related reasons, I've covered the whole house with about 100 millimetres of soil, although I kind of vary it a bit for different plants, and it's a curved monopitch roof. It's flat at the top, and then it gets steeper as it goes down and uh, so I've got various different conditions on the roof from flat and damp and shady to very slopey and sun-baked and arid, so sort of planted up with different stuff. Mm-hmm. And the only way up is by that built-in ladder at the end.
0: Okay, but let's go. I shall leave the way. Well. Okay. okay. Wow, so we're up here. I guess what twenty foot off the ground We mm, maybe more like about ten or eleven at uh, this point. Yeah. I'm be, I'm I'm exaggerating it's clearly. Like,
3: it's about sixteen at the top and it's about right. ten at the bottom. So
0: okay, up we go. So it's a sort of a bit of a sort of a not exactly mountaineering, but certainly you do feel like you're on a slope.
3: As it as it gets older and more mature, the the y bits are starting to take over and make it look a little bit less spiky. But there's a lot of a you know agaves. Yuccas, Dazzlerian, sort of spiky Mexican things, and I try and experiment with different stuff.
0: And do they grow well, those kind of plants in this environment? Well,
3: some of them do and some of them don't. You find out by trying, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, before we had the, the really bad freeze in 2010, I had I was trialling about 15 different species of agave up here, and now I know which three are hardy. Right, <laughs> and know? which three are they? Um, There's this agave filifera, which is the best one here. It's a great big spiky job, about yep. sort of a foot and a half across. Um and uh what's the other one um- there's a couple of those. The, the surprise is this little thing, agave striato, which comes from right. actually quite a tropical part the, yeah, of Mexico, and for whatever reason everybody's finding out it's a lot hardier than anybody thought. Wow. Well. Um, and agave montana, which isn't so much mm-hmm. cold-hardy so much as it comes from damper bits of Mexico, so right. it's more resistant to the rain. Uh-huh. But I'm, you know, there's basically where agaves died, I replaced them with hardier yuccas because they have a similar visual effect, and yeah. I just experiment with those instead. Um, so we've got lots of sort of interesting spiky South American things, quite a lot of aloe striatula, which is a very hardy South African yep. aloe, which flowers quite happily up here. I mean, when we had the big freeze, the aloe striatula were all completely cut to the ground, but they're hardy, they all grew back. I mean, mm-hmm. it took them about another three years before they started to flower again. But the other, the big thing I've discovered that does really well on a green roof are, are the sort of cistus tribe from the Mediterranean, cistus, oh. helemium and they're all the rock roses from uh, the Mediterranean mountains, and they're used to growing in incredibly arid conditions, and all they really need is a lot of sun and very, very... Uh, ar- not arid soil so much as low-nutrient soil, and that's exactly what we've got up here. Yeah. I, I, do, I do have an irrigation system on this roof, and I use it as little as possible. It's just an undersoil leaky pipe irrigation mm-hmm. system. And what I've found out is that you can vastly increase the range of stuff you can grow on a green roof if you just give it very minimal irrigation and never feed it. Right. I have not fertilised this in 15 years, mm. and the reason is because if you have any irrigation and you feed it, the grasses take over. Yeah. Let, let, let's walk up a bit. Let's go up, yeah. We're sort, of, we're sort of on the middle steep bit at mm-hmm. the moment, which is the sunbeam section where a lot of the spiky stuff grows. And as you get up toward the top, um, it gets a bit damper and a mm. bit more shaded by the house that's next door.
0: Uh-huh.
3: And so I, I can grow things that don't necessarily want to be baked in the sun. Um, and at the top we've got a bit which I'm gradually replanting and replanting that got taken over by that invasive phalaris grass. Oh, which was a mis- gardener's
0: garters, yes. <laughs> gardener's
3: menace, gardeners don't, menace yeah. don't plant on green roof.
0: Okay, right. so that was really taking well, over this area. It's, it's,
3: very, it's, it's totally flat at the top and it's shaded and it has mm-hmm. a tendency to get very wet because it's flat when it rains and very dry when it's dry. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. thought I'd try something that was resistant to everything, but it was too resistant and it took over the universe. I just keep trying different stuff on the roof and use my eyes to judge what's likely to look together rather than any yeah. particularly rigid rules about what kind of plant will grow on a green roof. And if something doesn't work, I plant something else.
0: (laughs) Um, Do you get much wildlife up here?
3: Um, insofar as the one of my two pussy cats can't do something about it, yeah. There's one <laughs> of the two cats that's that's worked out how to get up to the roof. Oh, and definitely. she likes to come up here and, and, and sort of keep me company and make a nuisance of herself when I'm Did gardening. Does she climb up the ladder? She's sort of, yeah. There's it, I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember the, the... I think it was a Carling Black Label advert with an acrobatic squirrel. It's, it's a bit like that. She sort of bounces, jumps up onto the water tank, hops up onto the top of the fence leaps up and uses <laughs> one of the rungs of the ladder to lever herself up on the corner uh. of the roof and then goes down the ash tree. Um, so insofar as she doesn't kill everything, um, I, I have a lot of wild love. I had a, um, a person, you know, a woman who studies bats, an ecologist who did a bat survey on the roof, left sensors here and all that they couldn't, find any bats actually landing on the roof overnight they did hear the noises you know their their echolocation so clearly there's bats in the neighborhood Mm. we have the inevitable foxes issue around here Uh, and because the house is up on little posts they, they try to nest underneath the house which causes an enormous nuisance
0: do you come up here just to garden or do you ever come up here to relax or sunbathe or read a book or is it just always work to the planning consent is not for a terrace I can look down into my neighbour's
3: gardens and it's also rather difficult to come up the ladder carrying a wine glass. Good point. So <laughs> I think deck chairs are probably kind of contraindicated <laughs> by the conditions. <laughs> a lot of the time I just come up here to be here. Well, I, and you can I Yeah, not uh, you? You can potter, yeah. One day I'll come up with my old clothes on and I'll rip up a load of phalaris grass or I'll plant something new. But a lot of the time I'll just come up here and I'll think, hmm, I wonder if that would look good there and I'll sort of mess around a bit. Or I'll just come up and enjoy the rather
0: unique atmosphere. Right, I'm gonna go and try this out myself. Got a basket with some tools with me, but that's it, up I go. And I've got a beautiful view over houses and gardens. My green roof is about the size of a garage. uh, And it's really doing its own thing now. I don't come up here very often. I'm just coming up here probably for the first time in about a year. And it does need some weeding and some grass removal. But generally, it looks after itself. There's lots of sedums, which I grew from seed. Uh, There's also quite a few chives, which are a fantastic addition. I've also brought up some crocus chrysanthus bulbs, which I'm going to plant, because that's the one thing I don't have, is any spring bulbs to bring some spring colour. So I'm just going to start off by doing a bit of weeding. Well, I've pulled up the weeds and I've made some room for some bulbs to go in. We'll see how they do. I'm going to put them more towards the front of the roof, where hopefully they will thrive. I'm going to put a few in different spots because the level of the roof varies from area to area. So I'm going to do a little experiment, put them in different parts of the roof and see what thrives and what doesn't. I'm literally just poking them into the holes made by where I've cleared away weeds, which is kind of convenient. Uh, the roof is a patchwork of different plants. There's a lot of sedum, uh, things like cedar acre and sedum Um but there's also things like cornflowers. In fact, there's still a cornflower flowering today in November. Um... Cornflowers are up here, there's some chamomile still in flower. What else can I see? Um, I've got some amaranth, which I think must have come in a wildflower or some kind of seed mix that I put on the roof. Here's some more bulbs to go in over this side, which is overlooking the rest of the garden. The soil up here is a mix of very light soil and expanded clay pellets, which are very moisture-retentive but also very light, so they absorb water and they don't add to the weight of the roof too much. I'm nearly done. So I'm going to now tie up my bag of weeds and chuck them down and head down the ladder.
1: I think the world of green roofs are only going to become more and more fascinating because the boundary, literally, of the top of our buildings is being pushed to the extreme. I think we're going to see a lot more interesting plants being used, really pushing what they can look like and how they can function for both us and the wildlife around us. And I think they're a joyous thing. So if you have a little patch Of roof and you look down on a little bit of grey and you have any chance to turn it into a little bit of green then I really urge you to go out and do a little bit of homework and see if you can make that happen and now it's time for plant
0: Plant of of the the pod
4: sedums sedums are one plant that has become synonymous with green roofs the smaller species are grown in mats to be rolled out on the roofs almost like carpet Their ability to grow in the shallowest nutrient-impoverished soils make them ideal plants for this. They relish the full sun and exposure to be found on a roof. The genus Sedum, however, is far larger than the few varieties and cultivars that are used in the green roof industry. Belonging to the family Crassulaceae, alongside others like Rhodiola, Sempervivium and Crassula, there are about 600 species of Sedum worldwide with 55 found growing in Europe alone. They're mostly succulents, and store water in their leaves to help them through droughts. It's this adaptation that makes them so useful on those roofs. Since Linnaeus described the first ones, different members of the sedum family have been placed into over 40 different genera. But eventually, the taxonomists, that's the scientists that name plants, have decided that these were all wrong and put them all back into the genus sedum. They normally have five petals, and in each flower they have double the number of stamens. All but one species of sedum have edible leaves, and taste slightly sour or peppery. Sedum reflexum is known by many different names. reflexed stonecrop, crooked yellow stonecrop, blue stonecrop, and Jenny's stonecrop. The name stonecrop literally meaning the crop you gather from stones. It is still eaten here in the UK and Europe as a salad herb. That peppery taste is caused by piperidine alkaloids, the same alkaloids that give black pepper its taste. Sedum acra, the native British biting stone crop, is also known as wall pepper and contains many of these, including sedridine, sedamine, and sedanine. These are harvested and used to treat many ailments, including asthma and bronchitis. Of course the species name acra means acrid and is due to the pungency of the leaves caused by these chemicals. If you haven't got a green roof to grow some sedums on, grow them in walls, rockeries, as ground cover or in the herbaceous border. And if you haven't got a garden, they'll do well growing in a hanging basket, trough, wall planter or even just out of a crack in the pavement.
0: And now it's time for... Ask Alice. Go on, ask me. We have Martin Fisher, who's got a problem with his flocks.
5: I've got, you know, the flocks, and they've got this eelworm. Yeah. I, you know, the, my RHS encyclopaedia says that the only way is to burn it, because anything is too toxic and not environmental that would actually kill, kill the darn things. So I haven't done that yet. I have to confess I'm... I've had this eelworm for two or three years now. Um, m- my main question was, I, oh, I think I'm up and burning, but I'd like to replace and get some more flocks in the same bed. Now, how do I know whether that eelworm is not still in the soil?
1: So the eelworm in your flocks is mainly distorting the stem and the leaves, and you <laughs> don't get flowers, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, do you want the good news? The bad news, or the more bad news?
5: <laughs> like that, is it?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, the good news is that it's specific only to the flocks, so it's not going to affect any of your other plants. No. Uh, the bad news is flocks are maybe out for a while in that bed.
5: Right. Oh, yeah. I was afraid that might be the case. Yeah.
1: So. Seeming as you like flocks, clearly, otherwise you wouldn't be wanting to replant it. I would suggest that you either grow some flocks in pots, where you could ensure that you put new compost in and therefore don't have any of the eelworm, or you choose somewhere radically different in your garden. Yeah,
5: put them in another bed. Yeah, yeah,
1: put them in another bed and put something very different in there. Maybe just maybe just grow annuals for a couple of years because once you kick it out of the cycle, I don't think the eelworm persists for a long time. Mm. So you could kind of consider putting flocks back in maybe in a couple of years time. Oh right. But I think for the next few years there's no flocks in that bed. And so
5: the the little critters will still be there then? In uh,
1: the next
5: couple of years.
1: Yes. Um mm.
0: Uh, I, that's that's our understanding, isn't it, yeah. Jane? That is our understanding. And Alice, um, presumably, we don't want to be putting these plants that we're that uh, poor old Martin is having to uh, remove onto the compost heap. We, no. we, we've got a.
1: Is burning the best thing, or putting them in the, the rubbish bin? I think rubbish bin. And if you don't want to burn them, so supposedly the flocks doesn't ever actually go into the root; it just stays in the stem. Yeah. So that you can take root cuttings, and your flocks won't be infected. However. It's clearly got to spend part of its life cycle either on the surface of the soil or on the dead leaves of the flocks. I'm not quite sure where that bit how that bit works out, but um, if you replant flocks, you will get your worm again
5: in mm, that space. okay.: Well, it is a mixed herbaceous bed anyway, so that's okay,
1: yeah. <coughs> and you could plant something lovely uh what let's think about what could you put in the place where phlox would come out like some ast, some late flowering asters yeah, maybe yeah i got
5: some of them yep.
1: yeah or some some chris- late flowering chrysanthemums or anemones something like that where yeah. you know i realize it's not as good as phlox but there's no point just having more heartache over no phlox. no for
5: sure well thanks very much
1: the 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 other thing is it's really rare so you're kind of special <laughs> It's rare, it's very rare. Is, is that any comfort, Martin, to know that <laughs> you're these,
5: real? Well, these flocks here, yes, really,
1: yeah. So, you're mm, kind of yeah. lucky that you
0: got something rare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I bet you feel really lucky, Martin, don't <laughs> you? <laughs> oh, well, well, I think as as Alice says, the good news is that uh, uh, hopefully, it won't spread to anything else in your lovely border, which no. sounds great, and uh, you can sort of. Winkle those plants out and uh, have perhaps an an excuse to go to the garden centre and buy something new or plant Mm. some new seeds or try something different.
5: Yeah, lovely. Will do.
0: Thanks very much, Martin. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye, Bye Martin. Sadly,
1: we're coming to the close of this week's episode, but that doesn't mean we're going to be quiet till next Friday. We'd love it if you could send us your photos of your own green roofs on the Guardian Witness app or you can email us at guardians at theguardian.com, tweet us at Guardian Gardens, and like us on Facebook. Just search Guardian Gardens. We'll also be updating our blog with
0: all of the links for this week's episode. And I must mention that George Pilkington sent us a fantastic video of some hoglets, which baby hedgehogs, pretty cute, feeding on his own bespoke hedgehog feed mix in his garden. If you want to see that, you can go up to our Facebook page. Bye, and see you next week. Goodbye. The Guardian gives you great independent journalism. Squarespace gives you the power to be independent on the web. Squarespace, the sponsor of this Guardian podcast, has Google Apps integration so you can create a beautiful website and get professional email branded to your web address entrepreneurship has never been easier try it at squarespace.com and use the offer guardian to get 10% off
2: for more great downloads go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio